0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's always good to see everyone. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. And then I have a good message for us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for allowing us to get here safely. Uh, Father, we do pray that you'll help us also help us to have a safe travel home and uh, to wherever our destinations will be after service. I pray, God, that you will use me, you'll speak through me, you'll uh, push me aside and let your word speak uh, to our hearts this morning, and I, I pray that you'll help us to love you with all our strength, and God, show us areas and ways that we are, and show us the areas and, and areas and places where we need to improve but help us to have humble hearts uh, to trust your guidance and your direction. We love and Thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You know. I got to be honest. It's the end of the year and it's getting more and more challenging to love the Lord with all my strength. I don't know about you, you know, this past Friday we had a parent team devotional. And it was fun. We had food, we had we played a little uh we played a little game where we broke everyone up and we had to come up with a uh, we had the, It was called like the Battle of the Bands almost. We had to had to uh, form a, a caroling group and battle the other groups that were there. And it was cool. My group lost, although I wanted to recount. But I also didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to push it. But it was a lot of fun. And let me tell you, it took a lot to get up, get dressed, drive through the snow, and love the Lord with all my heart and strength. I know some of us didn't, but I'm going to leave that for later. You know who you are. But my brother Christian was there. He was a a jacked up Santa Claus, but he was there, and he was loving the Lord with all his strength. It was hilarious. I should have recorded it and put it on the end of the year review. As a matter of fact, we do have it recorded. I think we might have to add that into the review. But all year, this has been our focus, loving Yahweh with our whole life. And, you know, I've tried throughout the year to be mindful of this command by asking myself, you know, how am I doing in these areas? How am I doing loving the Lord with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And, you know, also, how is it going loving my family this way? Am I loving my wife with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind? And with all my strength, those are the most important relationships in my life. You know, how's it going? Loving my children with all my heart. Yes, your children. You know, I, and, then, and then I look at the church. And then I ask, am I loving the church with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength? It's easy to see the need to love the Lord with your whole life. It's even easy to see the need to love your spouse. If you want a happy home, you better love that woman with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength. Sisters, it shows in your cooking. If you love that man with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he will taste it in every bite. And let me tell you, my wife made me a meal last night. I said, this woman loves me. She loves her some James. All right? She loves her some James. I'm not going to tell y'all what it was because y'all going to go run snitching to Robert Brace. So I'm not even going to say <laughs> what it was. It was a healthy meal, though. It was healthy. But I'm still not going to tell you what it was. But then this past week, I had the challenge of loving one of my little angels with all my strength. You know, my son, I love him. I love him with all my heart. Sometimes I just... You ever just sit and just admire your children? Just stare at them. You know, it was easy doing it when they were babies. But sometimes I'll just watch, like my daughter, I'll just watch her walk across the room and just like, man, I'm her dad. I just, I just feel so blessed. And then my son, he'll come, he'll sit next to me on the couch, and we're watching the Knicks' game, and he'll put his head on my shoulder. And I just turn my head from the TV and just stare at him for a little bit. And just think, this is my son. And you feel so good. In those moments you just want to bottle up and just put them on the shelf. And whenever you're feeling frustrated, just take it off and douse yourself with it a little bit. Or you know. But there are times when it's a challenge. My son loves to play. Daddy, let's do this. Daddy, let's do that. I'm like, son, I'm tired. Why are you so tired? Because of you. <laughs> But it will take all that you have to love people with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what about everyone else? Why do people people need to be loved in this way? Why is it that we need to put our whole life into it or put our whole being into it? I think Jesus answers this question for us over in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, I'll start reading here at verse 31. Now this is right around the eve of Jesus being betrayed and going to the cross. And he spends the annual feast of loving bread, Passover, with his, his, uh, his disciples. And he has this moment with his disciples as he explains again his need to go to the cross. And here in verse 31, Jesus leans over. He tells Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But you know, Peter, Peter said, No, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to go to jail with I'm ready to die. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go to the cross with you. Jesus knew better. Jesus knew better. But what I want to point out here is that first part. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Read that verse again, and this time put your name in front of it. James, James. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan wanted to crush Jesus' friends. He has it out for all of us. He wanted to crush those that Jesus loved most, his closest friends. And he wants to do the same thing to us. You know, there's another man in the Bible who knows this firsthand. Over in Job chapter 1. Turn with me in your Bibles there. Job chapter 1. And we'll read from verse 1 down to verse... No, I'm sorry, from verse 6 to 12. Job chapter 1, verses 6 to 12, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan asked, he also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. See, God knew Satan wasn't roaming the earth smelling the flowers. He wasn't roaming the earth admiring the mountains and the the vast rivers and, and fishing with his fellow demons. No, Satan was roaming the earth looking for someone to destroy. And so God asked him this question. Have you considered Job? Is that what you're here for? And then what does he say in verse 9? He says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan thought he knew Job. Right here, he's accusing Job. He's saying that as long as you protect him and you bless his life, he worships you. And, you know, Satan does the same thing to you and I. He goes before the Lord. He says, you know what, as long as they have a job, they'll come to church and worship you. As long as their marriage is fine, as long as their kids are behaving, as long as there's a little bit of change in their savings account, oh, of course they'll sing, glory, glory, hallelujah to you. But you take those things away, and they'll curse you to your face. Let me ask you a question. Is he right? Is he right? Can God say, have you considered my servant and you fill in the blank? If you lose your job today, will you curse God? Will you be angry at God? If you have a hiccup in your marriage, will you accuse God for not making it clearer whether or not you should have married that person? If you... Having a hard time with your kids? Are you angry at God and blaming the church that they didn't do enough to prepare or help you to be a better parent to your children? See, that's how we curse God to his face. And the Lord said, very well, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went from the presence of the Lord. And we pretty much know what happens. You know, Job goes and he just had one bad news. Have you ever had one of those days? Satan attacked Job's children, he attacked his finances, he attacked his marriage. And just in case Job thought that he could bounce back from all that in chapter 2, he attacked Job himself. He attacked his health. Satan pulled out all the stops. And you know what? He almost succeeded. If you read the story, you know that Job got very close. Very close. He was in crisis. Have you ever... Been in a crisis that felt like it would never end. Bad news after bad news. You don't even want to pick up your phone. You turn it off. Put it on airplane mode. You put on the do not disturb and leave it on. You don't want to check your Facebook. You don't want to check your email. You don't want to answer because it's just bad news. Sometimes you don't even want to come home. That's the kind of day Job was having. But eventually, God would bless the latter part of Job's life. He endured. He pulled through. Just like Jesus said Peter would. He said, your faith will not fail you, Peter. You're going to pull through. You're going to make it, but you're going to have to go through some things first. But your faith will not fail you. But then Jesus tells Peter that he must do something. Once he endures, once he pulls through. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 32 Twenty-two, thirty-two. he says, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. The title of my message today is simply this, strengthen your brothers. I believe everybody in here has at one point in your life received some encouragement from God. Raise your hand if you did. We all have a reason to think and praise God. The fact that you're here today is a reason you can praise God. You may not have gotten here in style like you wanted, but you're here. You may not be in the best shape. You may not even look the way you want to look, but you're here. That's a reason to give God glory. And so because of that, we got to strengthen each other. Sisters, you're included in that, brothers, all right? I just it just didn't, you know didn't sound right doing brothers and sisters, but i trying to stick to the scriptures. You know what I'm talking about. Strengthen your brothers and sisters. Strengthen your brothers. If you have come back from a crisis, don't keep that encouragement to yourself. Use that to strengthen your brothers. I have one simple point for us today. Help someone. Simple as that. Help someone. In Hebrews chapter 6, turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. It's right here behind me. Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 10 and 11, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue." To help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that you, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Nothing says, I love you more to God than helping his children. And nothing says I love you more to others than helping them out. You know, when you help someone, when you're there for someone, it communicates you're worth my time it communicates you're worth my attention it communicates you're worth my effort it communicates you're worth it you're worth the inconvenience when you when you help someone it communicates how valuable they are to you and to god now you may be thinking well James I want to help but I don't know how to help let me give you a few examples since you're so eager You got to go to them. I know sometimes I would think it may be, well, nobody came to me and asked for help. There is that side to it. Well, bro, how come you never asked for help? I literally stood outside one day for hours in the freezing cold, waving my hands because my car had broken down, asking for help. And no one stopped. Sometimes you just got to be looking to help somebody out. Yeah, it would be easier if people just said, hey, I need help. Can you help me out? But wouldn't it show and communicate love more if you sought somebody out? Like, hey, how's you, how are you doing? I was thinking about you. You know, I'm really trying to discipline myself that when God puts someone on my heart right away, say something. Talk to them, shoot them a text, shoot them something, and let them know that you were on their heart and mind. Do it right away. You know, it reminds me of David and Jonathan's relationship in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15 through 18. It says that while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horus and helped him find strength in God. Jonathan heard that his friend was in a crisis. He didn't sit around and say, well, you know, David need help, he'll ask for it. No, it says he heard when he learned that his friend, and it was his father who was causing his friend the drama. And he went to David to help him find strength in God. You know, this was the last recorded meeting between Jonathan and David. David was hurting. He needed help. His faith was weak. His courage was fading. And his friend went to him. Yeah, I look at this and I thought, man, if Jonathan and David were alive today, I can't imagine Jonathan just shooting David a text, saying, hey, you all right? You good? All right. Just wanted to say, say what's up. No, sometimes we got to get up and we got to go to people. We got to get up and we got to go. It's easier for someone to ignore a text message than it is for them to ignore a knock on the door. I remember brothers treading through the snow to go see if another brother, brother's not at church. They're in the snow at that brother's house to take him communion. That's how devoted we are to one another. I remember when I was in college, after one midweek service, I noticed that a brother who had studied the Bible with me was not there. And so I went to the train station. I was on my way, on my way home, and I just decided to call him. Picked up the phone. I called him. He answered. I said, hey, man, I noticed you weren't here, you know, tonight. Are you okay? Everything all right? His reply was, yeah, I don't know about that anymore. I was like, what? Like, what do you mean you don't know about that anymore? I said, yeah, man, I don't, I don't know about that anymore. Now, he was on the phone with the sister who he liked, and she was also trying to find out what happened to you. Where are you? What's going on? And I said, I'm on my way over. And he said, nah, nah, you, you know, okay. I said, I'm on my way over. Click. Now, here's the thing. The brother lived in Long Island. The last stop on the LIR is some godforsaken place that I've never been to in my life. And I'm thinking, James, you didn't really think this through. But you're in it now, so get in it. And once I looked on the map and he told me the to station, and I'm thinking, what in the world? And I got it, and I just, for the whole ride, I looked through my Bible, and I just, underlined scripture, I wrote down, I looked for any passage that I could find that I could possibly share with my brother. And then once I got there, he met me at the train station, we went to his house, we prayed, and we read through the scriptures, we got on our knees by his bed, and we prayed, and I spent the night with him. I'm like, I'm not letting you walk away from God. Because when I was in need, when I was lost in sin, he was right there in my Bible study. He was there to encourage me I turned back and now it's my turn to strengthen my brother. David and Jonathan had made a covenant with one another. They had a no matter what kind of friendship. No matter if my parents are losing their mind, I know that your relationship is right for me. It's a godly relationship. You're doing the right thing. Jonathan knew God's will for David's life. That's what drew them close together. They weren't close because they were in mischief. They were close because of God. And they had this covenant. No matter what, I am there with you. He went to David. We got to stop being lazy, church. Amen for technology. I love it. I use it all the time. I'm using it right now. But you better believe if one of my friends is in crisis, I'm on my way. I'm on my way because God has encouraged me the 22 years I've walked this earth as a Christian. And you better believe I'm going to give back. I was not going home until my brother in Christ was strengthened. He didn't eventually make it. But you know what? At least he could say one person tried. At least one person tried. And we're still friends to this day. Strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. You know, sometimes you'll have to go to them. And secondly, sometimes you may have to stay with them. In Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 28, we look at Paul and Barnabas. It says, They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. When they returned to Lystra, Iconia, and Antioch, Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after going through uh, Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had the, the, preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And in verse 28, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. You know, Paul and Barnabas, this is one of their missionaries, one of the first missionary journeys, the trips they, take, they took to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And if you read a few verses before this, you read that Paul was actually stoned in Lystra. But here we see that Paul, after leaving the city, he traveled to other cities to preach the gospel. And then what did he do? He went right back to the place where he helped those people come to the Lord. Paul was committed to helping people grow in their faith. He and Barnabas, they didn't just say, all right, amen, you're baptized, or hey, you know, here's a Bible. He didn't just throw a Bible at him and say, good luck. Paul stayed. And then they also put elders in place. They put leaders in place to make sure that the people were taken care of. You know, I look at this and I think, man, Paul was physically attacked in one of these places. Sometimes we would avoid places like that. But his love, his commitment to strengthening his brothers was greater than his fear of being stoned again. What personal obstacles do you need to overcome to stay in there with people? You know, maybe they're not physical stones that we're afraid of. Maybe there's some, some criticism stones. Maybe they're they're gossip stones that you're afraid of, of, or maybe they're, 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 they're stones that you're aimed at your character, at your integrity. What do you need to overcome to stay in there and help people? What's the longest you've hung in there to help someone? Yeah, I know sometimes people can be difficult. Sometimes it can come across like they don't want your help. But you know they need your help. You know that they need someone in their life, and it it just seems to happen that you're the one who's committed to staying in there with them. But you know what happens when you stay in there? Eventually, they start to come around, and guess who they'll remember for hanging in there with them? You. You. You know, when we help someone come to the Lord, that's just the beginning. Once we dry them off and and we sing, you know, we sing whatever song we sing after their baptism, we all pose for our pictures, and and that's just the beginning. Now you got to stay in there and help that person mature in their faith. Some of us would not have made it past the first year as a Christian had someone not stayed in there with us. Had people not stayed in there. And look, you know, sometimes, let me just plug this in here real quick. Sometimes if we're trying to help our friends come to Jesus, we we give them a bunch of instructions, but we don't stay with them. You know, when I was studying the Bibles, the guy showed me how to have a quiet time. I'm like, what's a quiet time? You just go sit down in the quiet by yourself? Like, I didn't know what that was. But brothers took me each morning. Someone sat down and showed me how how to have a personal Bible study. It's not enough to just tell someone, go read this book. Okay? And then what? What should I be looking for? What kind of questions should I be asking myself? How do I know what I'm getting out of? I don't know. you got to walk with people. you got to stay in there with people. It takes time. But you can't take shortcuts. People need encouragement. Some of us more than others. The goal is to strengthen our brothers until they're able to carry their own burdens. And once they're strong enough, then they need to go and do the same to someone else. Imagine if everyone here was committed to helping someone. Imagine if there were people in your life committed to your success and your family's happiness. If there were people devoted to your children and your children's happiness. Imagine what that would look like and what that would feel like, you know, I imagine it would look something like this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possession and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Does that sound familiar? Isn't this our model? Isn't this what we're striving for as a body, as a church, to be like this? You know, let me tell you something. This doesn't have to just be a dream. This was their reality. This was their reality. Why can't it be ours? Why can't this be our reality? If we're truly devoted to one another and to God, why can't this be our our reality? Why can't we break bread in each other's homes? Why can't we have glad and sincere hearts while we're doing it? Why can't we enjoy the favor of all the people? Why can't we be devoted to one another? I don't see why not. If that's their reality, why can't it be ours? I'll tell you why. Because there's some of us who refuse to help. And that's just the God honest truth. It doesn't take a whole lot to help someone. It doesn't take a whole lot to encourage someone. I told a brother last week, bro, I'm glad you're in Harlem. I missed you when you were gone. I, I didn't see him. That's all I said. And the brother's like, bro, thank you so much. I needed to hear that. Now, to me, that was just me saying what was obvious. I missed him. I didn't see him. I missed him. But that encouragement went a long way with him. It doesn't take a whole lot to strengthen someone. It doesn't take a whole lot. In fact, Jesus will be happy if you just help one of them. In Matthew 25, the plane is landing here. In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, this is one of many, Jesus, many of Jesus' parables. And this one is pretty, pretty interesting. In Matthew 25, Let's start reading together in verse 31. This is called the sheeps and the goats. Now, I'm not here to tell you which one you are. Personally, I'd be offended if I was called either one of them, but I understand what the parable is trying to say here. But in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to eat? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one, They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is pretty convicting, isn't it? Jesus said. When you help one of my brothers and sisters, you're doing it for me. He said, one. Let me ask you something. Can you help one person? If you can't help one person, then you need to reevaluate your life. He said, one. One. He didn't say their whole family. He didn't say a whole town. He didn't say a whole city. He didn't say your neighborhood. He said one person. But then he said, if you refuse to help at least one, then you're refusing to help me. Last midweek was a sobering one, wasn't it? The church's CFO, Connie Bean, shared the facts about our financial giving as a region. And it wasn't good. Basically, what we all saw, for those of us who were there, was that there are some who refuse to help. But she did say that things can turn around dramatically if everyone did their part. Imagine if the 300 Christians here in Harlem helped one person. Just one. That's 300 people whose lives have changed. Connie said it only took a little bit for our church, and that little bit would amount to over $300,000 a year if everybody did their part. No one is too busy. I don't care what your excuses are or how complicated you may think your life is, you can help one person. When you come here to church on Sunday, that's an opportunity to help one person. God gives us every opportunity possible. When you come to midweek, that's an opportunity to help two people. Because you're meeting people on Sunday, and you're meeting people on Wednesday. Not to mention the people on your job. You can't tell me you don't have co-workers who need some encouragement, who need someone to just intercede for them in prayer. My wife and I made it a practice, but when we go out to a restaurant to eat, we ask our waiter or our waitress, can we pray for you while we pray for our food? One person. As simple as that. As simple as that. I want to challenge you this week. To help one person a week from now until the end of the year. And watch what God does in your heart and to the people you help. Strengthen your brothers. Go to them. Stay with them for a little while if they let you. And then just help one. Just help one. Because I believe a true disciple, one is just the beginning. One is just. A fan to the flame. If you help one, your heart will be encouraged to help more. Strengthen your brothers. God bless.